So last week, we concluded what is known as the Liturgy of the Word. Okay, The Liturgy of the Word, of course, again being the reading of the Epistle, the Gospel procession, the reading of the Holy Gospel, the Gospel proceeding back to the altar, and the preaching of the homily. All of that is known as the Liturgy of the Word. And we, if you remember, talked about that in each of those activities, we need to be paying attention in such a way to the Gospel reading, the Epistle reading, and the homily as if our Lord Jesus Christ was speaking directly to us. Asking Him, Lord, what would You bring to me in this Epistle reading? What do you want to speak into my life through the Holy Gospel? And what direction you would have for the salvation of my soul through the homily? That being completed, it also completes a section of the liturgy known as the Liturgy of the Catechumens. Remember, we talked about that. There was that point just before the offertory, I'm sorry, just before the creed, where the catechumens would exit the church. They wouldn't go to the rest of the Mass, the rest of the liturgy. They would leave to go be instructed in Christian spirituality. What does it mean to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And they would go through that training for the better part of a year. And there was even a time in the church that it was two to three years that they would go through that that in-depth catechumen training. So now we come, as we started last week, to the liturgy of the faithful, the mass of the faithful. It begins with the creed. So we talked about the creed last week, the different parts of the creed, different meanings, where the creed had come from and what we're expressing. Okay? If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online, take a listen for all the details. We're going to move on at this point. Because we come... Not that anything in the Mass is not a potential, absolute experience with Christ, but there's something about the offertory, which is what we have come to now. There's something about the offertory that so demonstrates the Christian reality of existence in oneness with God. And we're going to break apart the offertory today. So the creed being said, we come to the offertory. But before we get into the details of the offertory, let's think about, talk about a general statement as to what the offertory is all about. Okay? I'm going to say something that might seem to sound obvious, but this really is important to understand as we look into the various parts of all that's going on in the offertory. The offertory is the point in the Mass where God's people who are present present to God material offerings. Okay? Offertory, offerings. Should be obvious, but we really don't think about it sometimes. Because there's a lot of the stuff of earth that is being offered to God during the time of the offertory. See, prior to this point in our journey, it's been preparation. And it's been hearing, receiving the words of Christ, preparing our souls for the ultimate communion with Him in the Eucharist. Now we begin to act and offer to God some things of a material nature. So... 
Father Michael Kaiser, so that you understand the little bit of the history of God's people making offerings to God, in his book, Offering the Lamb, he says, There is a distinct pattern of God calling mankind to come and make offerings to Him as a point, and this is important, as a point of relational contact in which man presents his offering to God, and in the same moments, God acts on man's behalf. We don't offer the things that we offer in the offertory just to lift them up, give way to something, get rid of something, and offer them up. It is a relational transaction that is taking place in the offertory. And we're going to look at that much more in depth. But let's take a look at God's history of asking for material offering or any offering to be offered to himself in the history of he and his people, Adam and Eve, starting with them. Were they not to offer themselves to God who walked with them in the garden? And were they not to offer up the obedience that God had asked as part of that relationship, obedient to what? To not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to walk with him in the garden and grow to become like him. Abraham, when God would make a covenant with Abraham, Abraham sacrificed animals in the process. It was a blood sacrifice called upon by God. And when Abraham did the blood sacrifice of the animal, God in the same moment finalized the covenantal transaction. I will be your God and you, your the generations from you will outnumber the stars. A very relational act, this covenant making. And what about once they came into the promised land from Egypt and God through the law and through instruction told them the whole worship cycles of the year, every year, all of the sacrifices and offerings that God's people were to make. Let's take a look at these. There was the sacrifice, the offering of the burnt offering and blood offering for the atonement of sin. They would offer the spotless lamb or ram if they did not have a lamb. The blood would be shed and in that moment of offering and sacrifice, their sins were covered by God. They offered, God acted. Then you had the peace sacrifice. This peace sacrifice was a thanksgiving offering, literally, for all the other offerings. Because all the other offerings were to keep the peace between man and God. And so there was an actual peace offering. Again, it was done through blood and burnt sacrifice that expressed thanksgiving to God. There were the remembrance. They called them the remembrance sacrifices. Again, it was a blood and burnt offering. The people would bring the sacrificial offering and the focus was on the remembering of all that God had done on behalf of His people. See, when the people would come and bring their sacrifice, their offering, and give it to the priest and it would be sacrificed, they would remember the Passover. They would remember that God had delivered them out of Egypt. They would remember that God passed over not bringing them death because of the blood of the sacrifice. They would remember being freed from Egypt 
you see. All of these remembrances, that ought to jog something in us for everything that goes on in Mass. Is it not one huge remembrance? And then finally you had the grain and the first fruit offerings in the Old Covenant. These were grain and wheat flour cakes brought to God as an offering and presented to God through the priest. And they would bring their tithe. They would bring the first fruits of the harvest and offer it to God. And God would be in the offering. And what I would put to you, and let's look at them, atonement for sin covering of sin, forgiveness of sin, the offering of peace, remembrance, and the first fruits offering to God, the tithe, I would put to you that all those things in the Old Covenant were a foreshadowing of what would be completed in the church through Jesus Christ. For all of these things are in the liturgy. All of these things are in the offertory. It is the fulfillment of all of these offerings that we have. Do we not have the blood covenant sacrifice filling us, washing away our sins through the chalice, the blood of the Lamb? Do we not have the great thanksgiving, having obtained the peace of God that He offers us mass after mass? Is, is what we do not a remembrance of all that God has done on behalf? Remember this in the church calendar. Every Mass has a remembrance. And every remembrance is patterned after the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ our Lord. Every Mass is a remembrance offering. And do we not offer to God our material first fruits, tithes, and so on? And remember this when we talk about tithe, tithe being 10%. I love this statement because it really keeps it into perspective. You know, God never asked for the first fruits of the harvest because He didn't have something that He needed. God does not ask us for 10%, those first fruits of what He doesn't have. He lets us remain stewards of 90% of what really belongs to Him in the first place. The whole discipline, spiritual discipline of our giving is not to pay church bills. Please, the discipline of our giving of the first fruits of our labor, as God calls, is to free us from being in bondage thinking we own anything. How many of us live in financial worry all the time, sometimes making it a bit of a God in our lives? The discipline of that offering is God's grace and merciful gift to free us from any control it has on us. So that when He asks of us, be it unto me as you will. It's yours. It's yours. So all of these offerings are present in the offertory and in the liturgy. So let's start taking a look at the offertory itself and all that's offered. Here we are at another critical point of the Mass, just after the Creed. And the priest again, and you'll find that he does this at very critical stages throughout the Mass. The priest turns to the people and says, The Lord be with you. And the response is, and with thy spirit. We've had this statement before. It's broken out and spaced throughout the liturgy. Never forget the meaning. 
the priest is not turning around and looking at you to present a nicety, how you doing? The priest is turning around with the great prayer and blessing that God would be with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you. Why at this point? May the Lord be with you so that you will be graced to offer. It's at the beginning of the offertory. The Lord be with you, grace you to act on His behalf, for He's ready to act on yours. That's the statement. Now, as soon as the priest makes that statement and says, let us pray, the choir then sings the offertory hymn for that day. And what is sung each Mass for the offertory is prescribed. Every different Mass has a different prescription for what offertory is to be sung based on the remembrance of that day. For example... In today's Mass, All Saints Day Mass, we have the offertory hymn that was lifted up by the choir, and the words are this. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and there shall no torment touch them. In the sight of the unwise they seem to die, but they are in peace. Alleluia. So that was the offertory that was sung. But there are a number of things going on. It's a very busy time in the Mass. So it's hard to catch everything, which is why I want us to take our time seeing and understanding all that's going on in the brief literal moments of the offertory. First it's this. Let's talk about what's going on at the altar as soon as the choir starts to sing the offertory. The first thing that happens is bread and wine are being brought from the credence table, which is a table off to the right, by the deacon to the altar. Now let me give you a little bit of history on this. Where does this come from? This motion of bread and wine being brought to the altar rather than it just starting there. Okay. In the early church, and even for a few centuries, every individual and family would bring bread and wine to worship. Every family. And when they would come to church, they would bring it to the deacons. And the deacon's job was to prepare what was needed for Eucharist. Everything left over could be used in one of two ways. And there was always stuff left over. One, it could be separated for the poor. Bread and wine. Secondly, it was also separated for the agape feast, which took place after every worship, liturgy, mass. Because in the early church, there was no separation. As soon as the Eucharist was done, immediately they ate together. They celebrated their life in Christ together. And so bread and wine was there for that. But it was the deacons that would receive the offering of the bread and wine from the people, prepare it, and bring it to the altar. And you see that motion going on when you see the deacon go. He goes and brings those gifts that not the priest is going to lift up, not the deacon, not those serving at the altar. This is the offering that God's people lift up. Now, the priest may do the action, but the people of God are making the offering of bread and wine. Okay? 
So that's going on. See, here's where the relationship is seen as very real. I'm going to try to see how I can put this the best to you so you can picture it. We are offering to God stuff of earth. Bread, wine, our materials, our offerings, right? We are offering to God stuff of earth. So if you can picture the entire body of Christ raising up to God, just like you see it points the chalice raised, right? We raise up to God. God takes stuff of earth and returns with the offering of Himself. We offer material things as He has desired, but in that moment He offers Himself right back to us. Because it is God who is going to take that which is raised, bread, and make it His body. He's going to take wine which is raised, make it His blood, make it his blood for the remission of our sins. We offer stuff of earth, He gives us salvation. Now I want you to think about that picture. Because that picture that I just described to you of the reality of what is called upon and what God does in Mass as we move towards Him, it's the very picture of the Christian existence. Our entire lives are to be offered to God so that He may touch and offer Himself back to us in every moment. That is the reality of Christianity. You know, we're going to say that. I know I'm spoiling it later, but we know it anyway. There's a point in the Mass where we say, as the priest bows, he says, and we offer up ourselves living sacrifices. We haven't gotten there yet. Right now we're offering stuff of earth. We're going to talk more about that later. We offer the stuff of earth and God returns with Himself. And that's one of the most profound pictures of reality that we will spend eternity figuring out the immense love that's going on in that moment. We don't give things away to nothingness We are one with God in those moments where we offer and He gives back to ourselves. Now, with that in mind, I want you to hear some of the prayers that you never get to hear of this offering because there are prayers. The choir is singing during this time. So the first thing that gets offered up by the priest on behalf of us all is the bread. Okay? The priest takes the paten, which is the gold plate that has the host on it, and he presents it to God. And he prays this prayer. It's not in your book. Receive, O Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God, this spotless host, which I, thine unworthy servant, do offer unto thee, my God, the living and the true, for my countless sins, offenses, and negligences, for all here present, and for all the faithful in Christ, both quick and dead, that it may be profitable both to me and to them for salvation unto eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? 
That's the prayer prescribed and always prayed at the offering of the bread. I'm praying that God would bring me life though I deserve death and I'm praying it for you too. I'm praying it for you too. And a spotless host. This should be nothing new to us if we know anything about the sacrifices for the atonement of sins in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. It is a spotless host. Christ was the fulfillment of all the sacrificial lambs, the spotless hosts that were offered up, bloodshed for the remission of sins. And so we say, we offer this spotless host, but we offer it with purpose that through the offering of this bread, you will not only cover our sins, but be life to us. Be life to us. Next thing that happens is the blessing of the water, because the subdeacon brings water and wine from the credence table over to the priest. And we have the blessing of water that is going to be added to the wine. Why do we add water to the wine? Human nature and divine nature. Well, that's actually very good. That's good, yeah. Yeah. Think of Christ's death, too, that there's something even real, just realism in it. When he pierced his side, what flowed out? Blood and water. Right? It's like if you cut yourself, the water's going to come out first. Yeah. Right, right. So blood and water flowed, so when we prepare the offering of the wine, it is wine and water, okay, to become the blood and water. And the priest prays in the blessing of the water for this, O God, who in creating human nature hast wonderfully dignified it and still more wonderfully reformed it, healed it, brought it back to where it's supposed to be. Grant that by the mystery of this water and wine, we may become partakers of His divine nature, who deigned to partake of our human nature, Thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with Thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit throughout all ages of ages. Amen. Lord, let us be through this offering, the offering of the wine. May we become partakers of human nature because you partook of our, partakers of divine nature because you partook of human nature to offer this back to us. The reason he became man was one of the greatest self offerings of God to man, you see. And so as we offer this, that's what we're praying as the water is added to the wine. And then we do the actual prayer offering the wine to God. And the prayer is this. We offer unto Thee, O Lord, the cup of salvation, humbly beseeching Thy mercy, that it may go up before Thy divine majesty with a sweet savor for our salvation and for that of the whole world. As we offer it up, bring us Your salvation. Common prayer with the bread. As we offer it up, give us life. Right? Now, one of the things you will see just after this is the offering and the altar. You see that they're sensed with the incense. And just before they are sensed, the priest prays in the spirit of humility and with a contrite heart. Let us be accepted by Thee, O Lord, and so let our sacrifice be in Thy sight this day, that it may be well-pleasing to Thee. 
Come, O sanctifier, almighty, everlasting God, and bless this sacrifice prepared for thee. One of the things you'll notice every now and again, the priest, Father Robert, myself, doesn't matter who's celebrating, when we pray the prayer, and there's a couple other ones that happen, you will see the priest's hands raise up in a circular motion and come back down. It's very specific that the priests are to do this because it's a very sign of what the transaction is that's going on here. Come, O sanctifier, we reach up, we offer up. Come and bless. It's a physical and verbal calling down of what God already wants to offer us. So every time you see the priest raise up Know this is by the will of God because God intends to rain down Himself upon the Beloved. And it's one of the most beautiful pictures that we can have. He even prays this on the incense before He senses the the gifts, the the, uh, offerings. He prays, May this incense blessed by Thee rise up to Thee, O Lord, and may Thy mercy come down upon us. This whole offertory section is so filled with that wondrous imagery of God's people lifting up and God reaching down to grab them and bring them to Himself. That's what's represented in the offertory. Then the priest, having sensed the altar, he turns to those financial oblations. Those tithes and alms and offerings that have been given, they don't go without blessing. They're part of this. Why, what are they blessed for? To be used of God. They're His. We set them apart for the holy use of God as God directs His church. So the priest turns and he blesses all that you've given from what's really His. Right? The final prayer of the offertory. This you do have in there because you'll hear this one prayed out loud. <clears throat> He prays, now that everything is set upon the altar, receive, O Holy Trinity, this oblation, which we offer unto Thee in memory of the passion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ our Lord. And in honor of Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, of Blessed John the Baptist, of the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul, and of all Thy saints that it may avail them to their honor and us to our salvation. And may they whose memory we celebrate on earth vouchsafe to intercede for us in heaven through the same Christ our Lord. We offer these things to God in remembrance of all that He has done. Did you notice though how the saints and in what order the saints are mentioned? We offer it in honor of the saints as well. But the order is the order of the gospel story. It starts with the Virgin Mary. Then it goes to John the Baptist who prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Then it goes to the apostles who were brought to Him, dwelled with Him, and would later be filled with the Holy Spirit as the foundation of the church. And then we pray for all the saints that would come after them, us and all others. We want to bring them honor and we ask them to pray for us because the conclusion of that prayer is asking that all the saints in heaven and on earth pray for us. Pray for us towards what? We're in the Mass together. 
we're ever moving towards communion with God. We're asking them to intercede that this offering be made from our hearts and that we receive all of the benefits that God has to shower back upon us for the sake of our salvation. That's what we're asking them to pray. Now, having concluded this prayer, the offerings being set, the priest implores all of us to pray. He faces the people and says, We offer this divine Eucharist to the glory of God and for the special intentions that each of you bring to Christ's altar. Let's stop there. I'm almost ashamed that I've never addressed this to make sure that everybody understands something. Before Mass, when we're preparing, we go through prayers before Mass, where we vest. And in some of those prayers, we are able to lift up names that we're going to offer this Eucharist for. People that are in need. In our congregation, outside of our congregation, doesn't matter. And we do so. You hear needs listed when we get to the prayers later on. People's names for different subjects. But here's another reality. Every one of you can bring to Christ your intention for this Mass. If you know of someone that is struggling, that God has given you such a burden in your heart for, you bring it to the altar by being there. And that person or that family or that situation is lifted up by your offering to God before God. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just the ones we name. It's not just the ones we meet. Listen to what the priest says. We offer this divine Eucharist to the glory of God and for the special intentions that each of you bring to Christ's altar. So be mindful. Be prayerful. Be thoughtful. Lord, who is it this day, before I even come to Mass, that I bring to your altar? and ask that you meet and minister to and heal and bring to yourself and bring peace to. Consider that. Then the priest says, Pray, brethren, now that all this is set, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours, mine and yours, may be acceptable to God the Father Almighty. And then you folks pray. May the Lord receive this sacrifice at thy hands to the praise and glory of his name, to our benefit, and to that of all his holy church, is the prayer that you lift up. You see, we're praying for grace again because we are in need of grace at every moment just to worship God. The good news is it's the very grace he longs to give because he's given us this scene to meet with us to heal our souls and to draw us ever near Himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.